Hi everybody, I'm Oliver Roth, a Broadway producer at O. Henry Productions. You're listening to The O. Henry Report, the podcast by Broadway World, which gives you a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the business of Broadway. In the report, we pull back the curtain on the biggest stories, issues, and trends in the industry. This week, we're giving a fond farewell to 2017 and a warm welcome to 2018. To do that, I brought in our friend at Broadway World and my co-producer on the report, Matt Timonini. All right, Matt. So it's uh, the end of 2017 and looking back back on a really powerful fall and ahead towards a multitude of productions that are going to be opening up in in 2018 uh, in this season and next and I thought we could use this last episode of 2017 to sort of between the two of us talk about uh, where we've been in the past year and what we have uh, coming up and sort of a macro scale. Yeah, it, 2017 has both as part of the end of the 2016-2017 season and the beginning of the 2017-2018 season has been really weird and i say weird not because in a in a bad way but there's just been some things that have come up that have been out of the ordinary and i think there's some of them that well i don't think we want to get into the the weeds about everything i think there's two or three you know pretty big stories that i think will have an impact on the way things are done moving forward and for sure the one, the one to me from the business standpoint of things I don't think anyone's surprised that Bette Midler sold a lot of tickets in her first role originating mm-hmm. a role in a production on Broadway. I think that's goes without saying. I'm a little surprised at how well they've sold. I'm, you know, I'm a little surprised at how high the grosses have been, but not, not super surprised. The biggest surprise to me, and something that I think will impact future producing on Broadway, is how well Springsteen on Broadway has done. Obviously, yeah. to me, Bruce Springsteen is a singular thing. Like, I don't know you can make an apples and apples comparison and say this rock star would do just the same thing as Bruce Springsteen. Because I think Bruce Springsteen, for a lot of people, is it. But the fact that it's not a big showy thing, it's just him and his wife comes in and sings some backup vocals sometimes. But it's just a simple kind of presentation and it's not anything flashy. It is the antithesis of what we normally see in Broadway concerts. I think that we might see more of these moving forward as we're going to talk about with some of these uh, jukebox things after Jersey Boys. We've seen a lot of them since then. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some big A-list musicians come and doing these runs. And then I've been even more surprised that he's continued to extend it so many times. I'm surprised he can survive it. I know. I mean, well, it's, and, it's a it's a lot to be yeah. to be up on that on, on that stage. But I think you know that's that's absolutely right. And I think what's really interesting about Springsteen is it relates to so many of the trends that I I think I, I want to start dissecting in a second. But we can, well, let's talk start with with Springsteen. Yeah, it absolutely is a game changer for I think what we can do with a Broadway space. The the fact that he is in there making so much money. And I do, I do, I should also say he is one of a kind. Um, he mm-hmm. is like, if like he, his audience base is exactly the type of people that look for, you know, that, 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 that would go to New York or would go into Midtown for an evening, uh, you know, at the theater or, or, or at a concert. Um, you know, he's a, he's a very New York, New Jersey metropolitan area guy. Um, huge superstar, so I do think he is sort of one of a kind, but his numbers are also one of a kind. 
Like, you know, <laughs> from, from a producing standpoint, you don't need to hit the numbers that they're hitting. You don't need to hit near the numbers that they're hitting for it to make sense. So, yes, he's an outlier, but but these numbers are outliers as well. So, you know, it, there's no reason to think that a lesser star couldn't do maybe lesser business, but still a lot of business. I mean, you know, I've, I've never seen numbers like this where consistently – I don't think there's been a week where the average ticket was below 500. Yeah, and and remember, he's doing these numbers with just five performances each That's week. Right. You know, I mean, so it's insane that he's up there with the Hamiltons and Hello Dollies, and he's only do he's doing three shows less than the rest of them. I mean, it it really is mind boggling. Yeah, um, and like you said though, that you know, it's mind boggling because you look at these numbers and be like, man, nobody can do what the boss is doing. But you're absolutely right that from a producing standpoint, you don't have to do what the boss is doing. I mean, <laughs> if you can cut those numbers even in half. And you're doing five shows, that's still profitable, I would think, in a lot of ways. I mean, I don't know that how much, you know, Bruce's wrote it, directed it. And, you know, so, I mean, he's everything here. So I don't know exactly what their their weekly nut is. But, right. like, that's such a weird thing. I mean, I don't, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who can do the numbers that he is. But you're right. I can think of probably dozens of acts or individual artists who could do half, two-thirds. Right. And the other thing is, uh, you, you have to understand uh, this. He's an outlier in every way. So yes, the numbers themselves are insane um, in terms of what people are paying and 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 you know to get there. But then also the fact that they've extended for so long. And yes, five performances a week is less than our average eight performance a week schedule. But we've seen similar, uh, in, you know, uh, types of content being done. Uh, for less than that, and we can imagine th- that to be the case. You know, we uh, what was that comedian's name? Uh, Louis Black. Louis Black. Is that his, yeah. Louis yeah, Black. Louis you Black. had brought this up in a, in a previous episode, right? That that we might see something like that this season. If if someone with one fifth of the popularity of you know, Springsteen <laughs> were doing this one night a week on just the, the you know on a state, I mean, because uh, I don't you know for those who haven't seen it, yes, there is production value to it, but I do think you can replicate that production on a stage that's being used for something else, right? I mean, to do that show, they, they do more than, 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 you know, than they needed to, but really all you need is the star, a guitar, and a piano. And, you know, you, I can imagine a, a, a theater that rolls this out on Monday afternoon, you know, sells a ton of tickets and rolls it back. And then, again, like, if you, if you have a fifth of the tickets, then... Uh, uh, sorry, a fifth, a fifth of the in- inventory, the demand goes up. So even a lesser known star could still get pretty nice numbers. Well, and that's that's actually an interesting thing. I'm sorry to cut you off, cut you off, but that's a really an interesting thing too. Because if they just did it one night a week, that artist could then go and do concerts around the country right. throughout the rest of the week. It's not dissimilar to the model that we see in Las Vegas with the residency programs. Generally, their residencies are for like five or six shows over a weekend once a month or something, but it's, it is a similar business model that I think could be interesting. If some enterprising producer, I don't know, maybe one who's on this podcast, um, <laughs> hooked up with the right act to make that work. Trust me, my wheels are spinning. Yeah, I'm sure because it's, it, it's been proven in a slightly different model in Las Vegas. Right. And obviously Bruce is proving that there's at least an appetite for something like this, depending on who it is. I, I think this could be something we see more of, and it would yeah, make absolutely. sense in a, every single way. It would make sense. I think what what Bruce does is it again because 
they were able to take something that should have been like if I were to not tell you it was Bruce or even if I were to say it was Bruce Springsteen, you know, at the very start of this, um, I think a lot of people's first instincts from a produce, you know, from business producing perspective would have been. How can we make this work? Let's put him on the theater on dark nights. Let's find, you know, let's find that that chunk of time. Let me call the Schuberts. I know there are certain months of the year where they're going to have a theater empty, right? There, are, mm-hmm. we just know when shows mostly close. Let's just tell the Schuberts I want a theater, you know, for 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 six weeks during those times that are usually dark because I know Bruce is going to sell. Like I would have been thinking about. How do we make this work? And it it turns out that you don't need to do much thinking. Like if you put Bruce Springsteen <laughs> on the stage and just put tickets online, people will pay ridiculous you know prices to see it. So it, it because of that, this is sort of a proof of concept I think that shows the the power of combining the music, uh, you know, the music entertainment talent and field with the Broadway venue and audience and what can happen. Um, so I absolutely think it's a game changer. Zooming out, I think it talks to to I, I think it talks to some other stuff too, right? I think like we we are seeing more of music and Broadway mix, and I I think we'll get into this in a second. But there's just a ton of jukebox musicals that are on the plate for either this season or the next, or or that are in development. And I think the other thing it, it, the other thing that it that a little bit touches on is this this is a weird season. There are three one man productions up. Um, if you count Bruce, which is not technically yeah. a one-man production, and and also just you know, something very different, but that's sort of weird on Broadway to see to see that. And so again, it's it, Bruce is interesting because in no way would I say Bruce is riding the jukebox musical trend. In no way would I say that it's riding the one-man show trend. Um, uh, you know, but but at the same time, it is sort of the perfect example of of why the rules that we thought you know were were set for on Broadway. Are, are maybe not that set in the way we thought they were. Yeah, and I, and I think I, – I do think that the one-man show concert thing is a little more apt just because it's not John Leguizamo's, you know, completely, you know, scripted thing, although Bruce's is very scripted. But what I mean is mm-hmm. that it, – but it does come from his memoir. It's not just a concert. It's not right. just him getting up on stage and singing the songs in an acoustic fashion that he would – in a normal arena show, it does come with the narrative backbone of his best-selling memoir, which a lot of people had thought would have re- eventually get turned into a musical mm-hmm. and very well might. But it does come with storytelling, not to the storytelling extent of like what John Lithgow or or or, or John Leguizamo are, are doing. That's a completely different animal. Yeah. But it's not just a concert. So I think to categorize it as like what Kristen Chenoweth did on, on Broadway last year, that was a concert. This has something a little bit different DNA in this yeah. than than a lot of people I think are giving it credit for. I mean, kudos to that team. They did everything right and that's why they're you know, that's why it's working so well. Um and and so that's great. And I, I do think, you know, the other thing I wanted to say is yes, Bruce is um those numbers are insane and something we've never seen before on Broadway, but it also isn't right. Like if we zoom out, uh, like, you know, you were, you were talking, you were comparing it to Bette Midler and Hello Dolly, um, about, about being maybe something different than that. But if we do zoom out, um, you know, I, you know, I like to look at trends and you can't ignore that, uh, it is hit, it is landing on Broadway at a time where we are seeing more juggernauts than, 
we have in 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 very in recent history. Um, you know, juggernaut uh, these musicals that we uh, view as easily running five years are being churned out at a rate that is very unusual. Um, and, and or even if it's a limited engagement, ones that are doing crazy money, right? I mean, you you look at the fact that we had Hamilton. And Dear Evan Hansen, and come from a way which uh, I'm not sure I would. I'm not sure I'm gonna you know no, put money on that it, that it runs yeah. five years, but it's doing crazy. You know, it's doing it's 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 up in you know it's doing the numbers of a, of a smash hit, um, and it, and I think it I, th- I would call it a smash hit. Um, yeah. You have Hello Dolly, you have coming, you you have the band's visit, right? Like which is again, a, uh, which is a very different type of juggernaut, but the number a lot of people are hitting the not the you know 85 to 100 plus percent gross potential right now and it's not so common that uh, that every season we get one two or three of these that come out yeah so i i think you know there's there's something to, to there's something there yeah and i think in this season that's coming up we're going to see more of them i mean i think there's we talked about this before sure. we started i think there's two maybe three maybe four um, I mean, heck, it could be up to eight really shows that you can bank on and saying this will be open when the initial year long contracts for that cast up or right. are, are up. I mean, you can say for sure that there are a few shows I'll throw out Harry Potter and, and yep. Frozen. I think that mm-hmm. when those casts finish their first initial year long contract, they will either be looking to extend or replace because those shows will still be running. I think there's others that very well could be up there. Um, as as well with you know with Mean Girls with the show that that you're one of the producers on Escape to Margaritaville I think Carousel could be uh, uh-huh. could be one as well I I don't know if My Fair Lady I mean it's it's Lincoln Center and they've done right. open ended runs before and this is open ended I that's one that I have a lot of questions about and I think we might have talked about it before uh, I've got a lot of questions about the My Fair Lady production but it if it goes well that one could be one that could run for a year or two as well so I think. To me, as an as an audience member and as a fan and as a media member specifically, that's fun because we love to we love Broadway to be successful. Yeah. And I would imagine from a producer standpoint, that's great if you're involved with one of those shows, <laughs> but it's also probably terrifying if you're not because that just limits the number of venues Absolutely. that you could bring your shows into. So I'm sure it's a it's a you want Broadway to be healthy because a you know a rising tide lifts all boats or whatever but then you're like holy crap i've got to find a spot for show x to go and there's just not that many of them left yeah just on that point um to put to to bring some numbers in as you know i like to do um so i I have to do some homework i i don't know how this compares to years past but in last week alone and we'll get into this in a second but last week is you know, is one of the pendulum swings during the year where it's a little bit lower than than other weeks, just because it's sort of in between Thanksgiving and the Christmas holiday, and we're about to the pendulum is about to swing all the way the other way. But so last year on a on a on a week that historically is is not doesn't give us historical highs, we had ten shows with above a hundred percent gross potential, um, and 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 I have to tell you, even though I'm highlighting last week because the numbers are in front of me. These ten shows that I'm looking at right here have been doing this pretty regularly. So, it that's very unique. That's it's really. Uh, I, I mean, like you said, it's if if you're on one of these shows, it's great. It's great for the potential <laughs> of Broadway. It's also scary because these shows aren't going to go 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 away anytime soon, and that limits the number of theaters we have for new material. 
Yeah, and you know, you like to talk about the numbers. I like to talk about the real estate. As you look into the spring, there's only three houses that don't have anything lined up yet. And, you know, in one of those cases, they might not put anything in there, although I think that would be um, a mistake. I mean, really, the only three theaters that are open are the Court, the Hudson, um, and then you've got the Niederlander. The Niederlander has Pretty Woman coming in in July. So you have to imagine they start loading in, what, a, a month, two months before that yeah. show comes in. It might be a little different because they do have the Chicago run as well. So mm-hmm. they could put a limited run in there for the spring, but it would have to be pretty limited because they're going to have to start work on Pretty Woman, you know, right around yeah. Tony time. So it's 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 a weird thing. Now, and you tell me, you correct me because you would probably know this better than I would. Like I see there's a, I have on my handy dandy spreadsheet, which I think you're on right now as well. There's some theaters Always. that, yeah, you could see some of these shows closing, but we're almost at the end of December. So if they're going to be open now or if they're open now and they haven't announced a closing date, I would imagine that they're going to at least try to tough it out through the spring. So maybe there won't be any other theaters that open up. I mean, I have to admit the last 12 months of productions announcements, uh, of productions announcing and the way (laughs) these are scheduled have made me really unconfident in my, in, 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 in my understanding of the answer to that question. It really has. I mean, look, if you, before this season, I would have said absolutely, you know, uh, something like the the, the Nederlander, where there's a, a block of time before Pretty Woman, will book something small because I know, you know, colleagues who are dying to get a, a play in a in a house, right? Or, or mm-hmm. although Nederlander might be a little big for that, but right, um, you know, but 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 there there are so many pieces. Uh, we'll, we'll get to this in a second, but there are so many productions that are trying to get to Broadway that I just wouldn't fathom a show being. Uh, or a theater being unused for so long. Then this season happened, and you know we had said in an early episode of this podcast, in, or in the fall, oh, there will be you know two or three um, uh, winter you know shows that come in, and and there was one. Home for the Holidays was the only thing uh, I think show that came in to fill the the Christmas. Lithgow Lithgow came in, or he hasn't even come in yet. By the time we're recording, he's just getting ready to start previews. But that one's a weird one because he's mm-hmm. coming in in late December. And right. then, like, going through – I don't know when he's going through. He's going through, like, March or something. Um, so that's just a weird one in itself, too. It's like I don't understand what's going on. And yeah. then we've, we've talked about before, like, you guys did with getting the band back together, like King Kong did. Like, shows are announcing their Broadway – not just intentions, but their openings and their theaters – over a year in advance, which is also not normal. So yeah. all of you producer folks are just really screwing up our traditional logic as to know when things are coming and what to expect. Right, because I mean, you know, another thing that goes into my saying, I really, I really don't know what to say. I, I don't know how confident I would be in anything I would say. Is any other year I would have said this? I would have said, look, looking at the calendar, I just don't. Maybe the Hudson because they don't have anything planned in the fall, um, and and. Um, and the court, uh, which which we sort of think we know what's going in there, but that, like those might see shows opening up before fall, and then uh, I would have I would have said these other ones, you know, uh, I would have said any show that's open now that hasn't announced closing is going to make it through the summer uh, right. because it's just uh, generally we see closings, you know, the the, the they're sort of uh, what's the word like there's a higher percent uh, percentage. 
uh, chance a majority of productions that will close in January to February uh, and then uh, an, another group that will close uh, sort of right at the tail end of the summer, right? September, like September, uh, end of August, early September. Um, and again, that's just because that's sort of that's sort of how the calendar has worked, where you you, you know you're going to sell your best, whatever your best is, over the, the Thanksgiving Christmas holiday and over the, the summer uh, months. So you try not to put yourself in, in, into a situation where you land on Broadway in, and, you, and there's not really a, a, a month in sight that you, that you're gonna, that you're gonna, that you know you're gonna do well. Uh, so generally it's like, you know, coast, coast through those, those months that are slower through previews and try to be open by the time, you know, that, uh, that you know you're gonna do well. But now there's like there's like three productions that are opening up in 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 July and August I think yeah. so I, these are sort of out the they're they're really out the window I I, I um, I'm really curious to see what happens and I, I think it's something that we're going to keep discussing on here uh, why the calendar got all shook, shook, uh, shaken up and 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 this is going to be really interesting right like in a year or two. The scheduling that has been done between, I would say, and I know we've said this before, between Hamilton and and then, right, and, and through this season especially, is going to, I think, set the pace. If all these July openings, uh, you know, close before before the holidays next year, I don't think people are going to try that again. Um, so it's it's an interesting time. Yeah, there's there's three shows that are currently scheduled to start performances in July of 2018. One of them, Straight White Men, is in it, it's at second stages house, so that's a little right. different because they're looking to do things year round. So that's different. But we do have Getting the Band Back Together, which is one of your shows, and Pretty Woman that are beginning previews within a day of each other. And it's like, that's weird. I mean, we've seen Hamilton do it. We've talked about this before. The Cats revival, which is closing I'm at the end of this year, did it as well. But that's a kind of its own animal, no pun intended. Um, but we'll <laughs> see how these are, how these do, because yeah. if this completely upsets the apple cart, a lot of what we think we know about how a Broadway season has to be shaped will change. Right. And, and I, Personally, um, as a big um, fan of the TV show Shark Tank, I'm all for those disruptive decisions <laughs> where you just kind of throw things, you know, out the window. You throw the rules out the window and you try something new because you have some sort of kernel of knowledge that says either this show is good enough to defy the odds or the right. way everybody's thought about this for decades and generations is no longer applicable because something has changed and i think that's the thing and you probably know this as well as anybody being a young producer on broadway is you know let's just call a spade a spade you know most of broadway is run by middle age or older white people and the audience is still probably that same thing but the times that the audience lives in is different as well mm -hmm. so there has to be some sort of of Darwin-esque evolution to where we figure out what works in the digital age and not just rely on what's worked in the print newspaper age. For sure. I think, you know, the other thing that we're seeing that's sort of uh, influencing this uh, goes back to what we were talking about before, which is that there are now, there's now a, a, a very real, very, a very real cohort of productions that are in a league of their own. So you don't have, everyone vying for i think the same 
demographic or theater goers like you used to. This is, I think, a, a debate that's been going on between between people in the industry, right? It, it, and the question is, like, it, are people seeing Hamilton and paying the price for Hamilton and uh, that's their show for the year, but they would have gone to see two shows otherwise? Or are they still going to two shows, um, but just someone who can't afford the second show isn't going to Hamilton, is going to regular price shows? Um, yeah. And I think uh, it... it, it it makes it sort of interesting because there are, that also allows for new strategies, right? You you do not need to be doing the numbers that Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen and the band's visit and and certainly Springsteen. You don't need to be doing those numbers to have a successful show. And there are fewer productions that are just barely making it now, I think. People, you know, a lot of productions are really making it. So it creates sort of a different league. And I think I want to take that to talk about another uh, – another uh, just, just to backtrack a little bit, another – big story of 2017 mm-hmm. which is ticketing i think the 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 verified fan model um has <laughs> totally changed the way this industry works i will tell you right here right now i do not, i i i think ticketing will be different than it has been i don't think that it will look like it does right now for those of you who haven't experienced oh. taking message verified fan I, and I, I honestly have no problem on the record saying this. It's it's a monstrosity. Like it it really is. It's it all the best intentions, but unfortunately, it's technology that can't do what they're hoping to do. And uh, I mean, I, I I myself have you know have have sort of a war story with with this with with uh, regards to Harry Potter, where I was supposed to be you know I ha- I had tickets in my cart and I went to check it out. Uh, and and literally when I pressed checkout, it gave me uh, like an error code. And um, uh, then those tickets – then uh, this happened two or three times. The tickets ended up being gone. And I called Ticketmaster and unfortunately with the new verified fan system, Ticketmaster uh, – and remember you're buying the tickets on Ticketmaster.com. They are unable to offer support uh, for you. So – What? Yeah, it's 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 an insane model. The the way that it works is the with the verified fan, the production is sort of in charge of distributing those codes, and they set their own rules, um, and they don't have access to the inventory on Ticketmaster's uh, uh, side of things, so they couldn't rectify the situation. So, from a personal, you know, for, just from personal experience, I can as a consumer, I can tell you that I just don't see the current way that it look it. The reason Ticketmaster Verified Fan was put into place is because of the bot issue of 2016, right, or, or late or early 2017, which was really when Hamilton, I think, led the charge against mm-hmm. people who were uh, they were making Hamilton really inaccessible because the only way you could see Hamilton is by buying tickets on StubHub for thousands of dollars, and those people used the this this software to purchase massive amounts of tickets. So it's really great to try to prevent that because it'll put more money, you know, it'll put a higher percentage of the cost that people are actually paying to the people creating the shows and it'll make it cheaper, I think, for everyone. That said, I think the problem that people have with the current system is like, uh, here's another, like Bruce Springsteen uh, extended his run a few weeks ago to the end of June, which is adding a very large amount of, 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 of months of performances. If you didn't register to be a verified fan like last June um, or last July, whenever it was, you have no access to those tickets for, for, for that full like 12 months or 10 month cycle. So I think that the current system sort of hinders accessibility in some ways. Um, 
valiant effort. I don't, I don't foresee this being the, the future of shows. And I also know, you know, there are a lot of shows that like frozen wasn't on Ticketmaster verified fan. And I think Correct. that the reason for that is, is that it's a confusing system, right? Like I, I just told you the story I had where I, I had troubles and they couldn't help me. And, and then I'm sure there are people who are trying to buy Springsteen tickets now and are confused to find that they had to, you know, get on our waiting list a, a year ago. So that's all to say, I think ticketing is going to be continue to, is going to continue to evolve. I think we're going to see some changes happen in sort of the verified fan, uh, the great verified fan debate of 27, late 2017. Yeah. And for me, as somebody who lives outside of New York, who, when I go to New York, I buy all my stuff for that specific week because I, I know that's when I'm going to be there and I buy things ahead of time because I'm a nerd and I don't want to miss something. Um, I don't have to deal with ticket, uh, Ticketmaster Verified Fan because it doesn't let you really specify one day. I mean, obviously, once you right. get in, you can get it. But there's no guarantee that once you sign up, you're going to have an option to buy tickets that are affordable. As we're recording another round of Bruce Springsteen tickets just kind of wrapped up, like you mentioned. And there are people who got in at the 10 a.m. window. And they got $75 tickets. There were people that got in at the 11 o'clock window and all that was left for the shows that they wanted to go see were $800 tickets. So it is a bit of a mess and it's unpredictable. And it also kind of rubs your face in the fact that you might not have been able to do it. I have, um, as you know, James Marino, who I uh, work with at Broadway Radio. He's a diehard Bruce Springsteen fan. He's been trying since day one to get tickets. He can't, and yet he still continually gets emails almost on a daily basis, if not two or three a day, saying, sorry, you can't buy tickets yet. And so I think that rubs people the wrong way. And so it might prevent them from yeah. in the future from participating because they're like, well, hell, if I'm not going to get in and they're going to keep, you know, kind of like telling me you're not cool enough, why am I going to go through that process again? Because it is such a hassle. So I think you're right. The intentions are good because that will help the consumer. I mean, obviously, a lot of it right. also has to do from the financial standpoint, um, as well as trying to maximize the percentage of the profits from the show. But figuring out a way to curb the rise of the secondary ticket market, especially in the theater, is is helpful. That's a good thing for fans. But when you're doing it in a way that angers people and disillusions them and disenfranchises them. I don't know that that's ultimately yeah. a positive thing. Well, you know, I, I, I love to think about sort of the psychological heuristics and foundations behind things. And, and what you just pointed to is exactly why I don't see this sticking around. And the, 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 the truth is this, the two situations are a, a situation where everyone has an equal, has a seemingly equal access to each ticket, but you know, some people. So, you know, tickets go on sale. The bots crawl through and buy thousands of tickets. But, but, but I'm looking at uh, you know the tickets being sold at the same time as everyone else. Probably less likelihood that I end up getting the ticket. In, in you know, in all honesty, just because thousands of tickets are going to these these scalpers, um, than this other strategy. But in this other strategy, there's a good chance that I never am allowed to even participate in the scramble for tickets. Um, and in both cases, by the mm -hmm. way, there's a scramble, right? Like if I get, if, when you get your, your, your code from verified fan, you've got to go right to the website and purchase. Otherwise you miss out just like you, you had mentioned. So you, even though, uh, the reality is that more people, uh, a higher percentage of people might be getting the tickets that they want with verified fans. The fact that perceptually people find it as them being barred from participating in the scramble, I think makes it worse for everyone. Yeah, it's a bad look. Um, yeah. You know, and 
and and New York, the city of New York is getting involved in trying to curb the the, the scalpers and stuff. So I hope they come up with a a intelligent, productive way f- that benefits yeah. everybody. I, I'll just um, say, yeah. In a few weeks, I'm I'm going to uh, London and and I'm gonna see Hamilton when I'm there. And and they used a different. Uh, there there are there are alternatives. So. I think, and I'll, I'll report back, but I'm pretty sure based on the the emails that I've been getting from the production that in London they are actually required they are actually uh, doing it like like an you know, like like an airline. So I think that I have to be Oliver Roth has to show up to the theater. Um, the 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 contract that they sent and they actually made me sign a contract saying that I that they are non transferable, which is obviously different than in in New York. And the the other sort of sort of technology that I think. Uh, was it that was being used here and I haven't seen it in a while but uh, the way that I bought tickets to the Daniel um, Daniel Craig Othello at New York Theater Workshop um, was more of like a, a deli pick a number um, method uh-huh. so it was you know it created an online queue as opposed to this random selection of, of codes there, so there are alternatives out there and, and people are playing around with it um, but I definitely think a big a big story to keep tracking and to sort of look back on 2017 about is ticketing and, and what, what the ways that ticketing is changing. Yeah. And the last story here is we're looking back at 2017 that I want to talk about. You might have another one, though, is one that we've talked about on this show. You talked about it, but you talked about it on this show. I think we've talked about it on this show. I did an episode of my podcast, Tell Me More for Broadway Radio, kind of about this. And that is the casting controversy around Great Comet. Now. Right. Micro level, I don't. I don't think that the Great Comet, you know, legacy will necessarily impact anything else. But on a macro level, I think some of the lessons that were learned from that, I I don't want to call it a fiasco, but from that experience and that news cycle or multiple news cycles, will be carried forward. I think it it that's a show that I think a lot of people, especially in the community, wish that the would have been handled. Differently, and I'm trying to tiptoe around some things. I don't want to cast yeah. blame because we don't know everything and whatever. But it's just one of those things that it's, it was a sad story that got ugly and maybe didn't need to if people had actually talked through things ahead of time. So I'm hoping that in the aftermath of that whole thing, that people on the production side of things, on the actor side of things, on the fan side of things, just wait and 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 figure out a way to get to the bottom of the situation and figure out what's best for everybody rather than rushing to something and then trying to shoehorn an explanation in later. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that's 100% a lesson of 2017 is to really be conscious of how you represent your production and the decisions you make. Um, You know, I I think I've said it on this podcast and I I definitely uh, have said it elsewhere, but I, I think there are so many things and we've in the second episode of this podcast about star casting and the sixth, uh, which was about the, uh, financials of great comet. We picked this apart left and right and, and various things that sort of went wrong. But I think the the main thing is to just, yeah, to, to listen and to be honest, uh, or, or, or at least strategic in messaging from a production so that, um, cause I think that's, this is an example where things just spiraled out of control. Um, and, 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 and also as, as we talked about in episode, uh, six, 
just people weren't really ready. Like some people knew that a storm was coming on that production, I think, and some people and and most people didn't, and so there it was just very surprising. Yeah, either either like you said, be honest or strategic, or have ironclad NDAs, which I know there are some producers that have quelled some stories similar right. to that could have become like this, but because they've got those NDAs, they've able to uh, to keep the hubbub much smaller. Uh, this season than the great comet did i mean I, you know as we record uh this morning there was a casting announcement about once on this island and yeah. you know there, there was an explanation given uh, that apparently there's contractual changes i will say that it's it's very it, it's totally possible that you know someone had a an out for a specific show that they were developing or a pilot or something and and that that thing happened uh, i can't remember exactly well, that uh, uh, merle dandridge who plays uh, uh, one of the gods, she is a lead on a TV show um, that's on the Oprah Winfrey network. And apparently she's going to film season three of this. I don't know if the date got changed for shooting because, I mean, you are friends and we've had Ken Davenport, the producer of that show on here. It would seem odd to me that he would have cast somebody who then had to leave three months into their run to go shoot a TV show if she wasn't a huge star. But that's something that we've known about. Quentin Earl Darrington right. is going to be leaving the show as well for what they say is a contractual thing that was built in already. But we don't know what that is. So there are some yeah. some whiffs of thing that seems very great Comet related. Yeah, I think it's a little different because they're bringing in people who we know from the theater community in Norm Lewis and, and Tamara Gray. Um, yeah. So they're not bringing in Mandy Patinkin. But it, for it, sure, it, it I got the same vibes that I think you did too um, when we got this announcement. Right. It's just like you know, the, and I think that that vibe is is um, this couldn't have been the plan, right? Like, I, yes, absolutely. I, again, it could have, it could, it, it easily could be dates, you know, filming dates changed, um, and then the uh, the other person who 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 who's leaving it, that person could have had, you know, there a lot of contracts with actors. If someone's been developing a musical, for example, they might have an out in their contract that if that you know if they that gets a production contract, they can leave for that show. So that's one one example of something that that could explain the surprise, uh, quote unquote, contractual um, out being triggered. But uh, I think the main point here is these are it, it is unfe- it's sort of unfathomable that that pro- the producers of that production went in to it. And opened like two weeks ago, knowing that shortly after they opened, they would have to recast. Um, especially with a show mm-hmm. that uh, you know it's it's a it's a it's one of the few revivals. Uh, it did very well critically, so you know there there will be some Tony talk. And obviously, if you take an original cast member out, that prevents Tony award voters from seeing the show with that original cast. So. Uh, again, I think that just the, the takeaway is here's an example, another example of a recast that was pr- most likely a surprise, but um, well, we'll see. But it seems like it's uh, being it's playing out on a just more on a basis that is less uh, uh, turbulent <laughs> yeah. than that. Yeah. On my uh, on my November trip, I saw one of the first previews. It was the first Saturday night preview of the show, and it was fantastic. But interestingly enough. Quentin Earl Darrington, who was one of the guy, a character or one of the actors who's leaving the show, he was already out because of an illness. Apparently, he got food poisoning. So I saw the oh. understudy go in like four days after the first preview, and and he was great, not as good as I was hoping from Quentin, but 
honestly, the understudy probably hadn't had a single rehearsal. So, um, but you know, it's a show that I, I wish the best for much like I did with great comet. Fortunately, I, I didn't see great comet, but I am seeing, right. I have seen once on this Island. It just seems like this can't be what Ken and his team were hoping to be talking about this soon into their run. Yeah, I mean, I think those are the big stories for 2017. Um, unless there's anything that you no, I think those are uh, those are the ones. So, so I think you know, I, we 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 keep uh, teasing this, but I just I, I couldn't let this episode, this sort of wrap up of 2017 and and hello to 2018, go without talking about the recent developments uh, among the things that have been announced as either rumored or circulating next year or landing on Broadway next year. I think a good proportion, maybe even over over 50% of sort of the things that are directly circulating Broadway are jukebox musicals. Beautiful is is on Broadway currently. Um, uh, we have my show Escape to Margaritaville coming in uh, this February, which is a uh, Jimmy Buffett uh, jukebox musical. And then uh, as of uh, the morning that we're recording this, uh, the Donna Summer musical has announced that it's opening up on Broadway this season. And we already have announcements from the Share Show for fall 2018. And we also have announcements from Head Over Heels, which is the Go-Go's uh, jukebox. I don't think, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, do we have a theater for that yeah, yet? No, it's going to do its out-of-town trot. I believe at La Jolla as well, where uh, Donna Summer is coming from. But it's going to do that one. Yep. And that's where that's – where, so we were there with Margaritaville and Ain't Too Proud uh, – no, wait, sorry. Ain't Too Proud was not there. Ain't Too Proud was um, – That was up at Berkeley Rep. Berkeley, that's right. Um, but ain't you proud? Also, is is rumor rumor too, or is it has it declared that it will come in next season? It, it has declared it via a press release. It's doing Kennedy yes. Center, and right? That's what they're saying is the pre Broadway tryout to come in Broadway. later that season at a right. theater to be named later. To be honest with you, it got better reviews than Summer of the Donna Summer musical, so I would be shocked if it doesn't end up as part of the right. 2018 2019 season. And then, so so those are sort of ones that we we are most sure will 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 come in next season. Other shows that are sort of being talked about but may not be quite as soon are Moulin Rouge, um, which mm-hmm. I, I think as of a, 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 an article I read recently, uh, because the producers are the same producers as King Kong, there might be a, right. a, a delay of a season. And then there's also this show uh, that I am also going to see next week, A Girl from the North Country, mm, which Bob is uh, a Bob Dylan piece that uh, has been uh, – there's a lot of buzz around it, um, and I believe they started to talk about uh, uh, transfer plans. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Not, it's possible that there are nine jukebox musicals on Broadway at the same time. I'm sure that some of them will – either not make it or will have closed before others open. But that's a really crazy trend. Yeah, okay, let me ask you this real quick question because this is a debate I've actually had with people before just so we can make sure that we're on the same page when we're talking about these things. What to you constitutes a jukebox musical? Does it have to contain music from a certain era? Um, like does it have to be from the quote-unquote jukebox era? Because then what differentiates that between – a jukebox show and a trunk show does a jukebox musical have to be about the artists like jersey boys are beautiful or can it be like something like head over heels is which has nothing to do with the go-go uh, the go-go story but uses their music so where are the differentiations here because i think this is something that a lot of people could get into a lot of arguments with at the uh at, at Glasshouse tavern if they really wanted to break this one down <laughs> absolutely so um to me jukebox musical is the 
umbrella term for for theater pieces where the music comes from a catalog of previously released songs uh, in the recording industry, right? The music record industry. So Got it. um, it's, it's interesting. Like I was just thinking the other day, technically waitress and last ship, which were original musicals by sting and Sarah, they had concept albums first. So there's an <sighs> argument that they would fit that definition, but that that those, those, those concept albums were paired with the, uh, the, you know, the very public assumption that they were preceding the Broadway. Well, and I, and uh, I think right. Sarah Bareilles is actually a little different because she released that after, or I mean, right, not not after it began, but after the announcement for the ART run of the show, because she right. said, this is the last yeah. time it's going to be mine. Little did we know that she would come and do the show on Broadway twice. Yes. But it, was, it wasn't like, hey, I did this concept album. Let's then do it to a musical. It so, came separate. Right. In that way, it's somewhat more akin to what Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice used to do. Um with Jesus Christ Superstar and all those things. But one to kind of compare, though, is Tommy. I mean, that was a concept album mm -hmm. with no idea of a stage show, let alone the movie version. That that could be an interesting argument to throw into the jukebox category as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and American Idiot, I think, also, yes, which is much. similar. I think Tommy is, more, I think, more textbook um, in this case. But, yeah, those are interesting, right? Those are sort of a mix of um, – in some, I might argue, and I'm sort of making this up off the fly, but I might argue that I would call that an adaptation of an album, because Fair. the album impl implicit in the album was sort of the story. Whereas, even though Beautiful is about Carol King, there, it's not sort of implicit in in that. Uh, by the way, you just uh, I, speaking of this just reminded me that there's also the Jagged Little Pill musical uh, that's going to be playing ART. Uh, this season or next season? I think season? it's this coming summer, so it probably splits so, it. Still no announcement who the cast is, though. Right. We'll see what happens um, with that as well. But th the point is there's a lot of jukebox musicals. Uh, to answer your other question, so to me, jukebox musicals take a few different forms. There's a brand, There's a, a wholly new book, a wholly new story that is paired with songs a la uh, Mamma Mia or Escape to Margaritaville. Then there is sort of the, the retelling of the uh, artist's story a la Jersey Boys or Beautiful. And then there's also uh, – there's also concerts, right? Like I think um, there, there are some that are, that are sort of a review, uh, more review-like than the narrative. Yeah, like, like Smokey Joe's Cafe. Exactly. And then uh, others that are – and then there's also ones that uh, – there are mixtures of those that, that use – not just one artist, but uh, some sort of thematically uh, – usually they're thematically jointed. So for example, Rock of Ages uh, or Motown mm -hmm. um, or Moulin Rouge. Uh, and so I think I would call any of those – if if the score, if a majority of the score has uh, – is sort of known in pop culture uh, for its re release as – uh, in the you know recording industry, um, and that's what's being used as the score. That to me is a jukebox musical, no, no matter whether it's an original right. story. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if other people uh, agree with that definition, but I don't know that there is one yeah. specific definition. Uh, it's just always, it's interesting because I fear you know some people say that things like going back to like all shook up. 
which was the Elvis show that they took Elvis music and they did like a 1950s version of, oh, I can't remember what Shakespeare play it was. But they, they that uh, was yeah. something more akin to like a trunk show where, you know, something like Roman Holiday, which is, you know, trying to come to Broadway. Oh, that's a little different. Yes. Right? That's a little different because they took a movie. but um, Or like Crazy for You, which might be coming for broad to Broadway. You know, that's a show that kind of somewhat took girl crazy and then put in a bunch of other Gershwin songs. So that's interesting. So as long as we're on the same page, I don't care what the definition is, as long as sure. we know what we're talking about. Yeah. I, but I, I will say, you know, like a, an American in Paris, uh, 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 what was the one you just gave? Um, Roman holiday, uh, Roman holiday, um, nine to five, I think was another, uh, the, the nine to five had the song from the, from the movie, but then Dolly wrote original oh, songs for it. Okay. So I don't really know where I would place those. My instinct tells me those aren't jukebox musicals. I think just something about uh, they're not having – maybe you're right. Maybe it's just like they weren't what was popular when jukebox <laughs> were – but but I would I, – look, I would call um, – uh, what was the Tupac musical called? Uh, Holler If You Hear Me. I would call Holler If You Hear Me a, right. a jukebox musical and – you know, I don't think people play Tupac on the jukebox. I don't know too that often. there's very many jukeboxes out there anymore. Yeah, that's yes, but yeah, I mean, it's this is something to watch. Uh, there again, there there is a um, plausible situation where uh, over half a dozen uh, of the 41 theaters have jukebox musicals in them in the next two years, which is. Pretty yeah. insane. And then we'll throw in your show Getting the Band Back Together, which is not a jukebox musical, but probably could have been written as one um, with that concept sure. if you guys wanted to go with that route. So it's uh, – um, yeah, there's a lot of this type of stuff going on, and that's because of successes like Jersey Boys and Mamma Mia and, and even Beautiful, which we've talked about is such a weird show in terms of grosses. So um, yeah. like we said with Springsteen, this is a, an industry that – sees something work and then tries to replicate it as often as possible until they they notice that it doesn't work anymore. So we're starting to see an influx of these uh, and we'll see how long they continue to be successful if they do at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not, I, and, and the other thing, the other thing I think maybe just to, to look out for is because um, we, this is stuff, this is something we haven't, uh, Kiss Me Kate has been announced, but mm-hmm. um We've gotten very used to over the last two or three seasons seeing one of the classics of American musical theater being revived, um, and and uh, in in you know in, in sort of troves, and we'll see if that keeps up or if Kiss Me Kate sort of is where the buck stops next well, year. And that's um, the first musical we're getting from Roundabout. If this doesn't happen until uh, spring of 2019, and that's the only musical that Roundabout does, that will be about two and a half years. That's right. In between musicals, either on or off Broadway from Roundabout. Now, they could add something in in the meantime, of course. But as of this recording, it's the only musical we're going to see from RTC. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, we've talked about that. But that uh, I'm very curious to see what next season looks like for Roundabout, because this season um, is very musicless. Well, and yeah, and hitless, too. I mean, you know, a lot of the plays that they've done, uh, Time in the Conways, uh, Marvin's Room, um, have not done super well. Now, these two one man shows, Latin History for Morons and John, uh, John Lithgow Stories from Heart. And I don't know off the top of my head exactly how those work if they're i think they're co-productions or or rituals or whatever yeah. but there haven't hasn't been a lot of hits in our in roundabouts houses aside from beautiful in a while and beautiful is a straight right. rental so uh, you, 
I love Roundabout. Some of my favorite shows I've ever seen on Broadway have been through Roundabout. So I want them to be healthy. It just you just have to kind of shake your head at some of these decisions and say, like, what is what is going on? Yeah. Speaking of Roundabout, the the other thing or maybe the final thing that we have to bring up if we're talking about things to look for 2018 is that the Helen Hayes is coming back. And second stage is making its Broadway debut, mm-hmm. um, which is this really a really exciting thing. It's been talked about for years now, um, and uh, they're finally going to have their first productions in there starting in 2018. Um, and and it'll be interesting where uh, what that means for some of their hottest productions off Broadway, uh, and what it means for new the 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 number of new plays that will come in in seasons to come well, that and what type of new plays will come in you know we've already got we've got lobby hero from kenneth lonergan coming in march i've already got my tickets to that one then you've got straight white men which army hammer announced that he was starring in on the uh yeah. the, lo- the uh, press line of for another show i would be shocked if we didn't get torch song after that in the fall of 2018 but in a house like the haze that seats just under 600 people does that mean we're going to get different types of plays coming in are we going to see less of you know like the oslos which are these huge big things that were probably even too big off broadway but come in and feel normal in a big you know at the beaumont where it played Mm -hmm. you can do a lot of different stuff at a 600 seat theater than you can do at a 1200 seat theater or even a a thousand seat theater so it it really kind of opens up the opportunity for different plays that wouldn't have normally had the opportunity to play on broadway to get that chance. And I'm excited to see what that is. It's, yeah. And it's so funny. If you just look at their, the two announced uh, plays, Lobby Hero and Straight White Men, I think that the way they've casted and the, the sort of cast size and themes might, might tell you a little bit about what they want to produce. But one is by Kenneth Lonergan, who is no right. stranger to Broadway. And one is where, by um, Young Jing Lee, who – uh, put up the show at uh, the public uh, a few seasons ago, but it 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 definitely doesn't feel like something that just had to go to Broadway, right? I mean, I'm really happy that it did, but it's going to be really interesting. Whereas the Michael Sarah um, and Chris um, Evans, uh, Chris Chris Evans, uh, Kenneth Lonergan play is sort of a no brainer. Well, yeah, and especially coming um, off so- the fact that Kenneth Lonergan, who you know, Pulitzer Prize, all that stuff, you know, whatever, uh, or Pulitzer Prize finest or whatever, but he just won an Academy Award last year. So it's like he's right. hot, time for him to come back to Broadway. But you have yeah. uh, a, a Korean-American female playwright in Young Jin Lee bringing yeah. the second show in there. It's like, oh, okay, the second stage is not just giving us what we're used to seeing and maybe a smaller package. Yeah. Kenneth Lonergan, look, as a straight white guy, as ironic that the the play straight white men is not written by anyone uh, who is a straight white uh-huh. man. But, you know, I, I am glad Kenneth Lonergan's show is coming. But to me, I, it would be nice if we saw less of people that look like me, you know. And, and so I, I love the I, fact that they seem to be making a commitment to doing things that, at least in their early announcements, aren't what we're used to seeing in Broadway houses. So I'm, I'm very happy about that. For sure. Yeah, it's a, it's an exciting, uh, you know, whenever a new theater opens, it's really exciting. And the fact that, that this is now a nonprofit house, so we know it's going to churn out many plays per year is is super exciting. Anything else, Matt, that you're looking forward to for 2018? No, I just – I want to ask you a question. Sure. Other, th- other than the shows that you're involved with, Margaritaville yes. and then even getting the band back together, 
what show that has either been announced or one that's been rumored for 2018, whether it's in the back half of this current season or the beginning of the next season, uh-huh. what show are you most looking forward to that you are not directly or even indirectly looking forward so, to? I have to say I'm really excited for the boys in the band because of that cast. Um, really fascinating yeah. if they're opening like – where they're starting previews so like three weird. days after. I mean, you know, with I actually can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. But the boys yeah. in the band cast, you know, the, the a star loaded cast opening on or starting previews on April thirtieth. The Tony cutoff is like April twenty eighth, uh, but for opening night, not so. So they're missing it by by about a, by a, a, a good amount. But if you look at if you look at the the way it's scheduled. And the fact that it's star-loaded, you have to imagine it was just a scheduling issue. They, you have to imagine there was just no way mm-hmm. that they could make it work because there's no reason to open a month after the Tony <laughs> cutoff. Yeah, uh, and 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 you know, I'm I'm sure they're playing through the Tonys. I am sure that every single one of those stars is going to get a uh, a present is going to be able to get up on that stage and present an award because they are such big stars so they'll yeah. get the press but it's a it's weird scheduling i mean it it really yeah. is uh, just defiant of the trend that, uh, to try to make it in before the before the tony cutoff yeah we've talked about this over on today on broadway on broadway radio but it's like you get jim parsons matt bomer andrew Randall, zachary kinto and and you know a lot of other people robin de jesus um and and a lot of other folks and you just be like why are they opening opening mind you 13 months before the tony awards that they're yeah. going to be eligible for yeah. it's just like the only explanation is the fact that these guys a lot of them are big tv and movie stars and they just couldn't do it a month earlier because right. really all they would have needed was a month because they you're right they could have shaved off enough of the previews to get in under that deadline but clearly that couldn't happen because otherwise i also think that this one might be a foolproof show yeah just because of how many stars there are they're like whatever i mean a lot of these guys have been through award seasons uh and stuff and you know tony's are great but i think if it does well enough they'll be remembered a year in some change later but it, it's so weird. You're right. Yeah. Absolutely bonkers to think uh, about how this is being set up. But I mean, just because of that cat. So to go back to the question, you know, that, I'm excited about that. I had, I have not seen Mean Girls. I didn't go to DC for it. So I'm really excited. I know nothing. I have no expectations about how that's going to be. So the things that are announced, I'm really excited to see that. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm coming into New York in March. That was the first show that I bought tickets for. But I've never seen the movie. I don't know mm. what it is about this show that got me. Even before they announced the cast, maybe it's just because I've grown to love Tina Fey. Since this movie right. came out, like I think it was like right after I got out of college, so it was out of my wheelhouse in terms of what I was interested in. But having seen Tina Fey then become this huge star, not just from Saturday Night Live where she was when this movie came out, but to writing for 30 rock and then Kimmy Schmidt. I've been super interested. I love Nell Benjamin, um, a a huge fan of her work, whether she's working with her husband or not. Um, And then when they threw in this cast, which I think the cast is spectacular. So this is one of the first ones I bought tickets to actually, it was the first one I bought tickets to Mm -hmm. because I'm really excited about that. I'm, I'm super excited to see what they do. And then as a guy who lives in central Florida, you know, I could, you know, be at Disney in, in, you know, less than five minutes. I've been a longtime friend and collaborator with Patty Murin, uh, both uh, at Broadway Radio and at Broadway World. I'm really excited to see what happens with Frozen. Yeah. I, you know, it's just one of those things where to, it's, I've known Patty for four years, four or five years now, and she's just a good person. And so I'm happy to see the success for her too. Yeah. And then I, so first of all, I am going to London. And as we know, things that 
you know, I'm seeing a lot of theater there, and I'm sure that there will be things that I see there that that will change the way I view the answer to this question. But of of shows that aren't yet firmly announced, but I but I I think people should keep an eye out for. Well, for, the first is sort of the most announced of this, which is To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, Aaron Sorkin doing mm-hmm. any you know writing anything is going to be great, uh, so and it's obviously a great title. I'm really excited for Burn This with Adam Driver that was just announced uh, last mm-hmm. week uh, on the we play don't know side. When that, yeah, we don't know necessarily when that's coming in. They just said 2019, so it could be the that's back right. half of 2018, 2019, or it could be the beginning of 2019, 2020. That's but right, yeah. I just, I just saw The Last Jedi last night, so I'm even more excited <laughs> about this one. Yeah, um, and, then, and then also just because I saw it, Two two shows that I did see the productions of that are sort of circulating that I'm excited for is uh, the Casey Nicolau Dreamgirls, which I saw in London last year, mm-hmm. uh, which has sort of been circling Broadway <laughs> since then. Forever. Um, and then the other one is People, Places, and Things, which just closed at mm. St. Anne's Warehouse, and again is one of these shows that is sort of con- you know is seen as considering making the jump uh, or really? not to. Because um, that's a that's a small show with Denise Guff. She won the Olivier um, for the role, and then they brought it over here and at St. Anne's, like you said. But it's it's fairly small. Do you think it, that it would translate well from something that's so unique, like St. Anne's, into a Broadway house? I think you know it. it I'm glad that I'm not the one that's trying to figure out how to make that happen. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it'll be dependent on availability. Uh, you know, it could absolutely work uh, at something like Circle in the Square. Um, or a smaller proscenium house. They they staged it sort of you know uh, interestingly with uh, the audience on both sides of the stage. Um, but but I, we've seen that done in at proscenium recently with with Heisenberg at at uh, the Samuel J. Freeman. So for yeah. um, Farinelli right now. Oh yeah, is, that that's right. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't cross. I wouldn't say it's impossible. Um, you know, I I think that uh, any show that has the uh, buzz and has the awards from from London that it has, and also um, Denise, who's the star of that show, is in Angels in America. So I think also the yep. success of that and her success in that in 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 building an American fan base through that, if she does that well, it, it could That's absolutely um, you know be more reason to bring something like that. And it is it's an amazing production, very much in the in sort of the the line of Warhorse and Curious Incident in terms of its. Um, merging of uh, sort of making physical production and spectacle uh, m- more important than usual in in American plays. That's but, you know, yeah, very cool. And and the one last show that that I will mention that I'm interested, excited to see if it comes in. You've mentioned the New York Theater Workshop a couple times today, and that's Hades Town. I, I don't know if or when. This show will come to Broadway. I think it will. It seems like there's enough momentum and enough interest to get it in. I, I have no idea if this will be a commercial hit, but I love the cast album that they put out, and I love the creativity that Rachel Chavkin yeah. puts into the shows. So I, I missed Great Comet just because I wasn't in town before it closed. I won't make that mistake again with Hades Town. I should say that I actually went to Edmonton to see it. Um, Did you and, really? and I don't know how I left it off my list, but it is definitely, um, you know, I, I don't know what, what, what the latest is with it. I know that they just finished their run in Edmonton not too long ago and it is definitely something to see. And we, we oh. patiently await, uh, uh, hopefully that being announced. Yeah. And I don't know who the, the gentleman was who was in it in New York, but I, I, I'm a, I'm a Reeve Carney fan. I, 
never saw Spider-Man, but having seen him on um, on Penny Dreadful on Showtime, mm-hmm. he's such an interesting, com- compelling guy. Yeah. So I'm very interested to see, one, if the show comes, and two, if he comes with it. And you can't go wrong with Patrick Page either. Like, that dude's voice is just so ridiculous. He and um, Amber so, Gray are, are yeah. giving, you know, they're always great. They're giving performances. Uh, you know, you know my obsession with the Tony Awards. If, if that lands... Mm-hmm. I will I will go out on the limb and 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 put them as as uh, really? uh locks for for nominations pretty early because wow. they're okay. they're they're really great and I I, I think you know I, I, wins I don't know but because it sure. depends on who they're up against but there there are some really great uh perform their performances are just phenomenal. All right, I'm I'm knocking on wood yeah. <laughs> to uh, to hopefully we get yeah. that one here in the near future. Thank you for listening to the O'Henry Report. We'll be off for the rest of the holiday season, but back with a new episode on fandom the first week of January. On that episode, we'll have three experts in fandom talk to us about what we can do to better cultivate an audience of fans around our shows. So be sure to check back for that after the new year. It's going to be a good one. If you have any questions from previous podcasts or ideas for the next one, tweet me at Oliver Henry Roth. You can find The O'Henry Report on broadwayworld.com, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. Basically, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, we're there. Be sure to follow Broadway World on Facebook and on Twitter at Broadway World for updates. You can find me on Twitter at Oliver Henry Roth, on Facebook at O'Henry Productions, and on the web at www.ohenryproductions.com. From myself and the rest of The O'Henry Report and Broadway World staff, Thanks for listening. Have a great holiday and we'll see you in 2018.